0: This is your brother Bona Muhammad welcoming you back to another episode of the Muslimi Experience where we deep dive into the lives of Muslims from all walks of life you know scholars, influencers, um, people who are making an impact in the Muslim community and today والحمد we are joined by a friend, an imam uh, a sheikh who has done a lot for us here in Canada and around the world. Sheikh Dawood Butt is joining us here today. سَنَالَكُمْ شَيْخَ. سَنَالَكُمْ How are you feeling? Good, you. Alhamdulillah. Better than now that you're here. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. And actually, uh, before we even deep dive in, you just came back from a prison visit. I did. And I know you do work in the prisons as a chaplain. Um, Correct. How is that? I mean, because I can only imagine, you know, going into a prison and. And being there to support inmates, but you know, you coming out of that and having to like decompress and all the crazy things that you saw, like, what? yeah,
1: <laughs> break it down for me. So I actually decompressed a little bit earlier today. Um, in, interesting incident happened where, like, when you go into prison, prison's a different world. Uh, it's kind of like what you see in the movies or on TV shows. Um, I think in Canada, it's a little bit different in terms of federal and provincial. Mm-hmm. Uh, but generally, you're with people who. The majority of them are not innocent and they have committed crimes. And so you just need to watch your back all the time. You don't know. I mean, you can't trust anyone. Mm. And that's rule number one. Don't trust anyone. Mm. Uh, But also like today, something crazy happened where I had to like get up and literally move out of the room and guards came storming in and grabbed the person that I was talking to. So it was kind of uh, kind of interesting. Yeah, it was eventful. And then I just was like, like you said, decompress. I was like, I'm done for the day, which I wasn't because I still... So I do a women's prison and a male prison as wow. well. Uh, so I do the women's prison in the morning, and this actually happened in the women's prison. And then uh, the afternoon, I'm, I'm with the men.
0: So. What's the big difference between the two, the men's prison versus the women's uh, prison?
1: Security level is totally different from my experience. Like mm. The men's prison is crazy, hectic. Uh, there's always something going on. The women's is a little bit more slow. Um and it's very different, too, because there, there are mothers in there also. Uh, sometimes you see children coming in to visit their mothers uh, with social workers, you know, little babies being carried in just to come and spend like 40 minutes with their mother and then, you know, taken away kind of thing. So
0: And there are Muslimas that yeah. you're actually servicing. Yeah. Like what is because, you I know, mean, a lot of people in our community would just imagine like there's no way yeah. you know, Muslim sisters could be in trouble or go to jail. Like yeah. what is that experience like actually having to counsel these women?
1: Well, we have to keep in mind that uh, when we think of crimes, we usually think of the worst crimes, but this is w- where I'm at. It's a provincial facility, so there's everything and anything. It um, could be tax evasion, could be domestic abuse and violence, it could be breaking and entering, shoplifting, anything from large to small. Um, but yeah, there's, there's Muslims who have done all sorts of things out there. Um, they could be really wealthy Muslims and then, you know, they're cheating on taxes or something. Mm. Uh, and then there could just be people who try to make ends meet and just don't have some groceries at home and pick something up and they get caught. I don't
0: know. Yeah. So now you being in this position of like an imam, a, um, a, a, you know, a cleric in that sense in the prison system. Is this what you imagined that you'd be doing when you graduated from Medina those many years ago?
1: Yeah, a little bit, Mm. because uh, before I went to study in Medina, I actually started doing uh, prison chaplaincy in Montreal. Oh, really? Yeah, so I registered for that and literally just got the ball rolling, and then I took off and went to Medina. Uh, But it was always something that I've wanted to venture into. I also am a hospital chaplain, so Mm. I kind of like doing things a little bit differently than the typical imam, just come to the masjid, lead the prayers, and head home. Uh, And prison chaplaincy, you'd be surprised. Like, uh, it really is uplifting. Um, It's eye-opening. And if I could be brutally honest, I kind of prefer serving the Muslims in prison than serving the Muslims in the masjid. (laughs) And and I'll tell you why. (laughs) What does that even mean? I mean, are they better off than we are? No, and they're not. And that's that's why. Mm. So, like, for us, it's like you do a lecture in the masjid or a khutbah and everyone's like, yeah, 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 you're talking to us about poverty and whatever. And tests and challenges in life. And like my Mercedes is parked outside and, you know, I still have a nice job and I have a home to go to, whatever you drive, right? Your Corolla. Uh, (laughs) But for people in prison, they have nothing. Right. So I give you a simple example. Um, When I go in and lead Jummah, pretty much every single time that I lead a a salah where I have to recite out loud, as soon as I'm done the prayer and I turn around, all of the inmates are just crying tears, like tears flowing down their cheeks. just because like they're hearing the Quran being recited, they're praying in a congregation which they can only do when I'm there. Uh, and so, yeah, it's like they appreciate that. Mm. So when they're in their units, a lot of them don't even know the direction of the Qibla. They don't know what time of day it is when they're in their cells because they don't have watches and clocks, oh, wow. things that we take for granted. So, you know, when you read through, you know, stories in history and the seerah and tarikh and... And you hear about people who don't have anything, and they just turn to Allah and they rely fully on Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. That's how it is when people are in prison; like they just, there's no one that's going to help them. Either the help of Allah comes or not.
0: So, in that desperation, they're able to kind of humble themselves. You know, that's a very unique perspective. I mean, I think that there's obviously a lot of stigma around, you know, people serving time behind bars and. You know our community doesn't do enough to support them. Definitely, mm-hmm. um, but your experiences in Montreal. I mean, let's go back a little bit because, born in Montreal, born and raised, born and raised in Montreal. Yeah. And I learned this recently. Your mother is Portuguese, correct? Your father is Pakistani. Yeah. How, <laughs> how do those two cultures and races even even meet each other? <laughs> Uh, interesting
1: story. So, my dad left Pakistan as a sailor. He's the eldest child. So, typically in a lot of these families in other countries, you're the eldest child, you're going to leave to go make money and send it home. Um, and then my mother, her family left Portugal when she was young. Um, and that was to. Uh, basically avoid having the children as they get older the sons join the military and the army and Mm. go and fight now we're talking not too long after world wars right Mm. so my grandmother was like I don't want any of my children going in and fighting and not coming back Uh, so they left Portugal came to Canada because there's no mandatory inscription Um, and yeah fast forward my dad came to Canada as a sailor 1976 I think it was when the Olympics was happening in Montreal Wow. And he decided to stay. <laughs> There's no secret there because he, he did get caught by immigration afterwards. But <laughs> really? So he just came yeah, yeah. on,
0: on a tourist visa and yeah. just decided, you know what? I, I mean,
1: he, the, their ship docked here and they were like, you know what? The Olympics is happening. Pakistani field hockey team is going to well, be... sailed? He was a sailor, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So um, when the field hockey team from Pakistan was coming to take part in the Olympics, Uh, My dad and his cousin were like, let's just stick around and, you know, watch the Olympics and then we'll report back to duty afterwards. Mm. Never reported back to duty. And then he ended up working in a company where my mom was working. Mm. And my dad's friend was Pakistani, married to a Portuguese. And that sister was a friend of my mom's. So they basically hooked the two of them up. My mom, being a woman from a, a very practicing Catholic family, told my dad straight up, I can't date you. Uh, If you want to get married, you know, get permission from your parents. I'll go and speak to my parents and then, you know, we'll get married. So,
0: yeah. Wow. So they went about it like...
1: They never dated. They just they oh. got married. Yeah, I don't know. yeah. And then then my dad got caught, deported, and came back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so then but he was already married. So at that time, immigration uh, was super easy.
0: Suckers, yeah. we got you. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't try
1: this. Any- <laughs> yeah. Do not try this at home. It's, <laughs> things have changed yeah. drastically. It's not like
0: you can just yeah. take a boat here anymore. There's a yeah. lot more precautions. So uh, what was that like growing up in a in a mixed race family in Montreal? You know, for people who may not be from Canada, Montreal can at times, feel a little racist. Yeah. Okay. I'm not a gonna little? generalize. Oh, well, I'm not gonna generalize, but you know, there is definitely that tension in that city. So, like, how was that? I mean, being a, r- a mixed race family in in Montreal at that time.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot of different ethnicities in Montreal. Um, it is very multicultural. The Problem is, the French just don't really care where mm. you're from. You're 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 not French. Doesn't really matter, even if you're white. Right. Um, so that's a problem. And then there is a lot of racism as well. Uh, in addition to that. So you have like the language barrier uh, and the pressure from the French, and then you have a lot of prejudice and racism and so on. Um, but yeah, even going to school, like at the time there were not a lot of Muslims and we moved to the suburbs of Montreal, which is Montreal's is an Island. So we moved off the Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in school, there were always only a maximum of five Muslim students out of like 900 students in high school. Wow. So we were uh, like, a minority Mm. um but yeah it was a bit tough the good thing is is that everyone knew who we were so it wasn't like you see muslims everywhere and you just blend in it's like Mm. oh that's one of the muslim families Mm. so everybody knew us you go to the grocery store they know us you go i don't know footlocker they knew us like Mm. everybody knew us which was kind of good because you develop like a small community around you Mm -hmm. um but no support like no halal food the closest masjid was 30 32 kilometers away it was it was challenging
0: yeah Mm. so how in that atmosphere did you even get inclined towards deen i mean like it it wasn't like you were growing up in medina where Mm -hmm. everyone's praying and you hear the adhan like you being in this city and off the island now even less muslims around you where did that cultivation of iman really come from
1: yeah so one thing that my parents did was they tried to create a small community around us um, so when we moved to the suburbs, there were only I think three or four Muslim families that lived there. And so my dad opened up our living room every Monday night. The families and the Muslim families in the community can come and pray either Maghrib or Isha at our place. Mm-hmm. And then like a year later, another brother opened up his house. And so we would have like Monday nights at our house, Wednesday nights at Brother Khalil's house, uh, Sunday nights at Brother Wakar's house. And so like all of these families, we would we would be getting together three or four nights a week mm-hmm. at least, right? So we developed like a small community around us. Um, but like my desire to study Islam when we were kids, like we barely could recite Quran properly. And that's where like my parents really made a huge effort to to, to even hire a Qadi to come uh, on the weekends to our city where we lived in to teach all the Muslim children. Mm-hmm. Um, and my recitation was terrible at the mm-hmm. time. Um, but alhamdulillah, like when I was... A little bit older, um, you know, I felt like going and studying Islam uh, at, at a Darul Ulum. So I went to study in Ajax back in the day. There was oh, a yeah. madrasa in Ajax, right? Remember, yeah. So I went to study there. And By the way, my
0: kids go to that school now. Oh, yeah? GLA, yeah. It's based yeah. in that same building. Subhanallah. Yeah,
1: yeah so um, I was actually inspired through our imam. So when I was about 10 years old, we had an imam that came. He's originally from Pakistan, uh, but studied in Medina, also studied masters in Mecca, Uh, and then came to Montreal, and his akhlaq, like his morals, his values, the way he was, very soft-spoken, very respectful. I was like, man, I want to be just like him. Yeah, subhanAllah. So, uh, Sheikh Bukhari in Montreal, well-known, well-known imam in Montreal. Mm. Um, And, yeah, he took us in like his own kids, and he treated every kid like that. It was just like, you know, come, I'm going to teach you the deen and teach you Islam. And his English was, like, almost non-existent at the time. (laughs) Uh I remember my older brother, like you know, writing his khutbas for him in English. So my dad, he would he would tell my dad what he wants to say in Urdu. Mm-hmm. And then my dad would tell my brother, and my brother would write it in English. And then he'd go up. And then when he got married, his wife used to do it. So yeah, yeah it was kind of interesting. But Inshallah. another thing that uh, inspired me to want to study Islam a little bit deeper was the fact that we had no imam up until I was about 11 years old to sort of guide us. And then even then, his English was not that great. So we couldn't really benefit as much as we wanted to from him. Um, And then I saw my brothers, sort of, especially my older brother, sort of, you know, being picked on at the masjid, mm-hmm. you know, by just community members, like, oh, you know, you're wearing a hockey jersey and you know you're supporting the non-Muslims, and my brother was just like, it's just a sports jersey, like, come on. Mm-hmm. And I, I was just tell myself like, there's no way that Allah is that type of God, mm-hmm. you know, that Allah is going to like, hold this to account for a child coming to the masjid to pray. Like, he's in the masjid, he's doing his Qur'an classes. Like, what more do you want? Especially in North America and Canada, right? But then just being, you know, told by the uncles and, you know, the older generation, like, you know, you can't wear this. Your salah is not accepted. And I was like, there's no way our salah can't be accepted. Like, I have to go and study Islam and find mm-hmm. out for myself. And so, yeah, that that desire you a to... You're
0: a lot of to <coughs> Maple Leafs fans believe that, that if you pray in a Canadian's jersey... Yeah, so we we'll
1: guide all the Maple Leafs fans because, um, yeah,
0: let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about hockey, by the way. I just, I just know there's that rivalry. <laughs>
1: I play ice hockey, but yeah, let's just let's stay. Th- we'll avoid that. We'll avoid yeah, that. Stay away from the, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to leaf bash
0: tonight. <laughs> fair, fair enough, fair enough. Um, so, you know, that desire to then, after doing the Darul Loom, where did Medina come into the equation? Like, did you know that there was a university there? Did, so, did you have a friend who went there? Like, yeah. where did that come from? So
1: again, that same imam, Sheikh Bukhari, uh, he studied there. Oh, okay. And uh, I always would tell my parents, like, I want to go study where he studied. I want to do exactly what he did oh, because wow. I liked the way that his, like, just his mannerisms, his respect uh, was was next level. And so, uh, yeah, I really wanted to go study in Medina. And he wrote my, my letter, my reference letter, and, you know, helped me with the whole application. Mm. Uh, he even wrote, I remember the day that I was flying out when I finally got accepted. Uh, he wrote on a small piece of paper. I probably still have it somewhere. Ilal ال جامعة الإسلامية أنا talibun jadid, And he wrote that, like, take me to the Islamic University of Medina. I'm a new student. <laughs> And he said, when you get to the airport in Medina, no one's going to speak English. So just show this to a taxi driver and give him 100 US dollars and he'll take you. <laughs> 100
0: USD, wow. Yeah, that's that's how it was. <laughs> wow, mashallah. Yeah. But so. Isn't that so beautiful how, you know, you just experiencing his akhlaq and being around him had such a profound impact on you?
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. You
0: know, I always think about that, like, subhanallah, the impact that we have around people that we don't even sometimes recognize. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. probably even in the midst of that didn't realize how much of an impact mm-hmm. he was having on you, really like carving that into your brain. Yeah. Um, Obviously you do a lot of work with youth and we know that, you know, our youth nowadays are, are going through it. You know, there's a lot of issues. I mean, you just coming from the prison, you're, you're seeing it firsthand. Um, One of the things that I'm really focused on the next few years of my life is this idea of mentorship of giving back. What do you think are some of the problems that we have in terms of bridging that gap? And actually you were at my screening, you were at the screening Mm -hmm. for purple don't cry. So you saw it. So the film, you know, kind of had messages of that, What are we doing wrong as a community that we cannot build that connection, that we can't have younger kids who look at us and look at the older brothers and feel like, wow, I want to do what they're doing. I want to go travel. I want to go study. Like, where do you think there's, you know, some miscommunication happening?
1: Well, where do you think we're going wrong? I think there's a lot of things that we can do differently. Uh, Not necessarily, like we're not necessarily doing things wrongly. Um, I think one of the things that comes to mind is like just, humbling ourselves as we get older we never think that we're we are as old as we actually are like i'm over 40 now but i try not to be that way when i'm with the teenagers in our community and i think that's important especially as an imam or anyone who's going to be working with a muslim community you know humble yourself and just chill with the people the same way the prophet sallallahu would you know be loved by the children mm-hmm. we're talking about little children they would come and play around him and jump around and he was fine with that And then the teenagers love to be around him because he would sort of relate to them as well. And I think that's what we're like. One of the things that we're, we're lacking and missing out on is just humbling ourselves and chilling with the, with, with a different generation. You know, we, as, as Muslims, we might get older and complain like when we're in our thirties and forties about the uncles and the aunties that are older and they come to the mustard and they're always angry and grumpy and, you know, telling people what to do, but maybe we just don't sit with them long enough to understand why they're saying that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, uh, on the flip side, I think uh, we need to be a lot more modern as a Muslim community, mm. you know, like using social media in the right ways, like you did Purple Don't Cry, which is mm. awesome. And, you know, you're doing a lot of other uh, work as well on the big screen. Uh, but also as imams, you know, I remember being in a in a meeting with a number of imams in the GTA, uh, and this was going back, I think, five or six years ago. And uh, they brought in someone to sort of, modernize the imams and encourage them to be on social media. And the person they brought in was presenting and he, he asked, I think there was about 60 or 70 imams there uh, during the session. And he's like, how many of you have sm- uh, Snapchat? <laughs> and I raised my hand and I was like, okay, I felt like putting my hand down because I was like, I'm the only one who raised my hand.
0: <laughs> my bad chicks.
1: Out <laughs> <laughs> of all of the imams. Oh. And it was kind of like, okay, something's wrong here. Mm. Even imams that were younger than me were not, Active on social media and that's a problem Mm. because the younger generation like there used to be a time when we had no islamic knowledge readily available to us and Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons that pushed me to really go and study islam was because there was no way i could learn islam in english Mm. now we have that but the thing is who are our children taking their islam from Mm. is it just anyone who's out there who reads a hadith and says hey check this out i i saw this today and they have no like they don't even know how to pray properly. Mm-hmm. Or is it better for us as imams to actually be out there talking to the community, the youth and so on and doing things that that people can relate to. We're mm-hmm. human beings at the end of the day, so we need to sort of like, you know, loosen up the tie kind of thing mm-hmm. and just be down to earth.
0: Yeah. But how do you do that without necessarily compromising, you know, I don't want to say the sanctity, but you know, the position of an imam, right? Like mm-hmm. that's a revered position in our community. It should be respected. How do you balance that with also being accessible, being, you know, modern, being with the kids? Because, you know, if you if you get too modern, then the elders, the conservatives will be like, oh, you know, you can't take Dean from him. Like he's too out there. Like, how do you find that balance? So I think
1: using the term modern is a bit problematic. Like, okay, there is modernity that's that's involved in in society. But every culture, every country, every province is going to be different. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I'm here in Canada and I'm not dressing like the Muslims in Canada, that's already a disconnect. Mm. Like I wore a thobe today just because I'm like, either will wear pants and shirt and a topi on my head, or I'm going to wear a thobe and nothing on my head. Mm. Right. So there's a little bit of balance. And I try to do that intentionally all the time where mm. it's like, okay, the older generation can still appreciate something, but the younger generation is like, Oh, he's cool. Right. right. And it's not to do it for the people. It's, Am I pleasing Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in this? Mm. And if I am, then that's good. So it's finding the balance in what Allah likes, um, and then applying that to the community. Um, so it, it can be it can be very dangerous to, to become super modern and just mm. let go of everything of the Deen. But then that wouldn't be Islamic, right? right? Islam came for the people a thousand four hundred years ago until the end of time, mm. and so. There's no way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the Qur'an and Islam to us through the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And it wouldn't relate to us mm. right? So why do we as Muslims have to feel as though we are lesser than other people? We're supposed to be more advanced than them mm. right? It's time we stop sitting on the back end and move, for- move forward And that doesn't mean like, okay, become ultra-liberal It means take matters into our own hands if I wear a thobe, does that mean I can't fit in in society? No, I can't. I should be confident enough to wear my thobe and do that. A sister should be confident enough to wear her hijab and still go out and, you know, do her job or groceries, look after family and so on. And so we need to develop that level of confidence that Islam is the best. Mm. And it's the best for every human being, not just Muslims. Allahi and it's the way that every single human being is meant to be living by. Mm-hmm. But we as Muslims don't really feel that. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think for most people, they're kind of shy to show their Islam and we shouldn't be shy to do that. And there's certain things that are cultural and certain things aren't.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's this new movement now amongst a lot of influencers. Okay, I use that term in quotations for I those know. who are just listening because I don't know what an influencer is. Honestly, it's
1: okay. weird. Sometimes you are an influencer. Sometimes you're not.
0: That's what I'm saying. <laughs> sometimes
1: I, it's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad yeah, thing. <laughs>
0: like on paper, I'm an influencer, but I also don't like influencers. So I don't know what I am at that point. But, you know, there is this new generation of youth, like you said, you know, who are just reading about things. They're hearing hadith and then, you know, they want to share the head, right? They mm-hmm. want to, you know, pass on a good message. I've had some interesting debates and conversations with people about it because I'm very much on the side of like, you know, don't talk about what you don't know. And I think it can be very scary and problematic if you then take on this role of it's different to advise people and it's different to then start giving rulings. Right. I think that lines get very blurry, very quickly. What's your advice to that, you know, in-between crowd, that, uh, you know, new generation, influencer, sheikh, da'i, the kind of, yeah. you know, artist, like that whole wrapped in one, like, because, you know, like you said, when you sat with the imams, they're not necessarily in that field. They're not mm-hmm. necessarily fulfilling that role of being online and being a face and a personality. Um how do we navigate that? Like, are are we all in on these categories of, of influencers, or do you think there's some problems with them and, and their approach?
1: So I don't think it's fair for us to generalize like a whole of category course, of, of influencers. Course. I think what's important is to understand that we all need to grasp our deen and stay within our lane, right? So what I mean by that is the Prophet <laughs> said, anni <inaudible> convey from me, even if it's just like one verse or or one thing, one sunnah, something you know about the Prophet. What that means is you're not you're not doing tafsir or you're not explaining these hadith and saying, well, I feel and I believe that this means this. No, that's not your place, mm. right? So the Prophet ﷺ is not stopping us as Muslims from teaching others. So if someone says, you know what, I'm I am an influencer and you know I, I want to teach Islam as well, fair enough teach what you know. Don't bring stuff from yourself. Mm. If you see a hadith and you want to share it with someone or you recited a verse or you want to just recite a verse, go ahead, do it, right? Share something with other Muslims. You never know what benefit might come from it, but don't start teaching if you don't have that basis. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's how it is in every profession, right? Like I'm not going to tell someone who does video editing how to edit videos, that's not me. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell a mechanic how to, you know, f- do an oil change on my car because I just don't want him to touch my car and I want him to do it with magnets or something. That, mm. That's just, that's not the way it is. You're not the mechanic. Don't, don't cross your lane. Right. So I think we all need to sort of understand that concept of share within our Dean. That's allowed, that's permissible and that's good, but stay within your lane. You know, if you don't know or you don't have the knowledge of something, don't just share what you think something is or what you feel. I feel this way about it. I hate. That's where it's very dangerous.
0: Those are the worst words that you could have before an Islamic discussion. I feel this. Nobody care what you feel Mm. about. You know what I'm saying? And that's the problem. A lot of people, they take evidences. And or they hear this thing and it doesn't fit their narrative or how they want Islam to look. So it's like, okay, well, I feel as opposed to you know, this is what Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala says, right? Mm -hmm. It becomes, well, this is what I think. Um, So who needs to improve more? Do the influencers need to increase their knowledge game and get to a place where they can share more beneficial knowledge, or do the shiukh need to get more onto social media so that they can counteract some of that uh, negative, uh, you know, perception online?
1: I think it's a little bit of both, Mm -hmm. like. As human beings, we are supposed to increase in knowledge constantly, right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us this. Mm. Ask Allah to increase you in knowledge. For imams, we need to be dynamic in multiple different ways, which is challenging because imams have so many things to do already. Honestly, when I you know, as an imam of a masjid and when you look at the other imams who are not on social media, it's kind of admirable. It's like, you know what? They don't have the stress of dealing with social media, mm. right? It's like they just stick to whatever goes on in the masjid and that's enough. But the problem with that is that we don't have, I think we, we just need to have more imams doing multiple different things. Like every masjid should have more imams. And as like, if we flip the coin and talk about the influencers, influencers need to increase their knowledge as well. If you're going to be out there Remember that every single person that you influence, either you're influencing them in something good and you will be rewarded for it, or you're influencing them in something that you might think is good, but bad or wrong, and you could be sinned for it and sinned for every single person who follows that. And that concept of, I need to hold myself accountable is really, really important in our deen mm -hmm. for every Muslim. So it doesn't matter if someone is a Muslim who's out there has a large following, you know, a few hundred thousand or even a million or two Followers, they really need to sort of understand Allah is watching Mm. and what I say and do is being written, right? And if I'm not going to benefit someone else and I'm harming them through what I say or do, then every single person who does this, I could also be sharing in the Mm -hmm. sin and -hmm. the harm and the punishment.
0: Whereas, you know, the opposite of that is also that as a person of knowledge, right, when you make a decision or when you give a fatwa or a ruling, as a person, even if you get it wrong, you're not sinful because you've done your due diligence. Mm-hmm. You made your HT hat. You know, you spoke to people, whatever. This is going into a situation with knowledge, and even if you get it wrong, But you're
1: making that decision with knowledge. Exactly. And that's why the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam tells us: someone who has that knowledge and answers it and gets it correct, or someone who answers it and gets it wrong, but they tried their best, right? As opposed to someone who just reads something or hears something and just takes it as face value. Like the majority of the Quran, you can't just recite it and know everything about it that's why we have to sit and learn right Mm. so yeah that's important what you mentioned
0: so uh we're going from the quran to cars okay very smooth transition you did mention the word cars you mentioned about the mechanic not touching your car but actually you probably have more input into what you'd like from your car than most people because you have a background in in auto mechanic you talk about that like how did you get into the field. Can I talk about that? I yeah, don't know sure, absolutely. I don't if mind if that's off the record. We start or,
1: talking about cars. Uh,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, because <I>, you <laughs> have be a love. All of, night. Yeah, you have a love of cars. Like, <laughs> how did cars. that come about?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I've just always been interested in fixing things. Okay, mm. so that's
0: probably why you're an imam.
1: Yeah, <laughs> fixing us. You know, subhanallah. And I think that kind of answers your question. Like, what's a correlation between like mechanics and and being an imam? Well, there's diagnostics, so. and then there's like coming up with solutions and fixing a problem. Uh, Of course, you have to leave some things in life to Allah. But yeah, as a mechanic, like I've always been interested in fixing things, um, you know, taking things apart. My mom would always just give me some screwdrivers and I could take apart my toys. And if I never put them back together, it really didn't matter as long as I was learning how to take it Mm -hmm. apart and put it back together and stuff. Uh, But then as I got older, um, when I graduated from high school, I applied to the Islamic University of Medina uh, that Imam at the time told me, look, don't just sit down and wait because you may get accepted this year. You may get accepted next year. You may never get accepted at all. So do something with your life, like carry on with life. And if you get accepted, drop everything else and head out. And so in that time is when I, uh, you know, ventured off into auto mechanics and, you know, finished my degree and, I uh, started working for Volkswagen mm. and I uh, was, uh, was offered a position here in Oshawa, General Motors. Mm. Uh, and then that's when I got accepted to Medina and just ditched everything <laughs> and took off. <laughs> Never looking back. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, my my specialization has always been like diagnostics and mm-hmm. problem solving. And I think that really helps me in what I do within the community as well. Um, and I apply certain principles also. So within mechanics there's principles, like someone comes in and says, hey, you know, my, uh, uh, I don't know, we used to say the cigarette lighter doesn't work, but not many cars come with a cigarette lighter anymore. But, you know, something's not working on my car. The first thing people usually do is go to that part and try and look at it and figure out or take it apart and try and figure out why it doesn't work. Well, it might just be the fuse that's blown, right? So Mm. problem solving and setting up certain SOPs is what I do within the community as well. Someone comes in and says, my husband this or my wife that, and it's like, whoa, 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 slow your roll. Let's get that other person in and hear their mm-hmm. side as well. And then put the two together in one room and see what comes from that. Because mm. uh, everyone's different when they're sitting on their own talking about their problems or their issues at home. But then we bring the other person in, you get a totally different perspective. Now when you put the two together, it's like, oh, now there's something different happening here. Mm. Uh, so yeah, within the community, there's a lot of issues, a lot of problems that we need to solve. And I think uh, you know, being a mechanic really helps.
0: Can you give me some examples of, you know, your role as a, <clears throat> I'm assuming you do marriage counseling and, you know, you all types of counseling. And this is, I think part of the problem too, is that imams come back from studying they learn tafsir, they learn fiqh, and then all of a sudden they become a marriage counselor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a big problem. Right? So uh, people should venture off into, or imams should venture off into, uh, what their strengths and interests are, and also continue to educate themselves. Mm. Um, and I've always said this, and our teachers always told us, like don't think the day you graduate from an Islamic university or the day you become an imam or a Sheikh or a sheikha that you've now reached some pinnacle level of knowledge and like you're awesome. Right. The reality is you're just getting started. Mm. right? So most people will like graduate from a university, and, you know, take off that, that jacket, like, that's it, I'm done, and put on their doctor's jacket. And now it's like, yeah, I'm, you know, wear this white coat for the rest of my life. What that means is you've reached the top of the mountain, and you think you cannot get better than you are. Mm. So the only place for you to go is just down, mm. right? And that's really what happens when people stop studying and stop learning. The only thing they do is they, they become irrelevant to the community. They become irrelevant to society. You have to keep increasing in knowledge, keep studying, keep learning, keep reading, keep trying to understand people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's really important. And not every imam should be doing every single thing. And that's a problem that we, we do have, especially here in Canada. Yeah. Like In the US and other countries, you might find multiple imams in one masjid. Each one has a different role. Uh, burnout is like a real thing in Canada. Major. Like so many imams are burnt out. I'm, I'm a burnout. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest. You're on the list too. <laughs> you know, it's crazy
0: too, because... Like you said, in the U.S., for example, even the concept of a youth director, by Mm -hmm. the way, that's a foreign concept to people in Canada. We don't even know what that means. I've Mm -hmm. seen it in the U.S. be very successful. Even that position of a person whose job is to coordinate youth programming. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sisters coordinator. uh, Actually having a, you know, qualified therapist or somebody on staff in massage, like... I really feel the future of the mus- the masjid and the Muslim community is going to be service-based, is going to be like a community center, mm-hmm. right? And <clears throat> if you look at models like the YMCA, you look at even other faith groups and how they operate their faith-based spaces, it's about providing service and providing value to the community. And of course, the imams do are a huge component of that, right? That's where we learn our Islamic knowledge. Mm-hmm. Do you think, and this is now tying in this diagnostic part and you being a mechanic, when you're diagnosing the issues in the community, do you see it to be a, a problem of we don't have the right um, people in place, like we don't have the right talent around the table, or is it a leadership issue where a lot of times our misadget are run by, you know, uncles, people that may be, alhamdulillah, wealthy, you know, but later parts of their lives maybe not be able to relate to the modern day occurrences of youth. Like, wh- which one do you think has more precedence?
1: I think both are a problem mm. in the sense that like, masajid don't want to invest in people. So yeah, we don't have the right people. And the people we do have are not skilled and qualified to do all the things that we expect them to do. And then that's why you find burnout happening with imams and Islamic scholars and teachers. Um, and on the flip side, when you when you bring this to the boards and you bring it to like, you know, the people in charge are responsible for masjid and you explain it to them, they're just like, well, like then don't do this and don't do that. And it's like, no, but the community needs it. Like there's a disconnect between them and the community. Mm-hmm. So the imam or the teachers, they know what's going on in the community and they're trying to provide those services as best as they can with whatever resources they're given. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's time that we, like you mentioned the YMCA and like other community centers. I've always looked at Masjid and Nabuwi as a prime example. Allahumma. Like you could be hungry and you come to the Masjid and you get fed. Mm. Right, you go to Masjid Nabwi. You could be um, sick, and you come to Masjid Nabwi, and there's tents set up in the back for people who are sick, and they would be there, and you know, people who knew a little bit about medicine, they would come and treat them. Mm. You could be homeless and not have a place to stay, and they would put you up there in the Masjid until you know the Sahaba were able to like build you a home, kind of mm. thing. Um, no matter what you needed, delegates needed something, people, travelers would come and they would come to the masjid. You know, it was a place to socialize. It was a place to come and do sports, like the Abyssinians wrestling in the masjid. Nowadays, like kids running the masjid, like, hey, what are you doing? Like, let them run, man. Yeah. They're going to break something. Let them break it. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what we're giving donations for so that they can be here in the masjid. Yep. I'd rather them break something in the masjid and they're here and they get mm-hmm. to pray, than to not be in the masjid, right? Mm. And that's that's one of the biggest problems that we face right now. Uh, you know, board members just don't understand that a masjid serves the community and it serves not just in five daily prayers. Mm. It needs to be used 24-7. There should, there should never be a masjid that is empty. Mm-hmm. There should always be people in the masjid, right? Whether they're doing ibadah or they're doing some programs or they're helping other people or, you know, conducting some training courses or... You know providing therapy or counseling services there should always be people in the masjid
0: mm. can you talk a little bit about burnout i mean it's something that you know i kind of joked about a little bit earlier but <clears throat> it's a major issue and i've seen other communities like in toronto the gta alhamdulillah you know we have a plethora of, of islamic centers and imams and shiukh but like i was for example in london ontario and like you go to places like windsor you know smaller towns where it's really challenging for them to attract, you know, a, a qualified imam and to stay there and immerse themselves in the community. But then, an imam's job is not a nine to five. You know, it's hey five a.m. Hey, somebody died. I need you here, or my mom's sick, or like I really empathize with the role of an imam because it's a nonstop job. Mm-hmm. You don't have a personal. There's no. <laughs> there's no separation between work and home and family. Everything is just blurry. Everything's yeah. all mixed up.
1: Yeah, and th- and that's the hardest part. Like, we don't have PAS right? Mm-hmm. We don't have personal assistants. We don't have secretaries. We don't have people answering our emails. We don't have people scheduling our you know, appointments. Um, and, you know, sometimes I think that the imams who are in those smaller towns have it better off than imams that are in big cities, like somewhere in, within the GTA, because community is huge. Mm-hmm. Like for us in Milton, there's 35,000 Muslims. Uh, we're about 30% of Milton. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with less than a handful of masjids serving the community in fact we're only like three two or three masjids really uh within milton serving the community is just so much work to do uh and yeah it's a 24 7 kind of thing Mm -hmm. and what sucks is like boundaries are never like respected oh yeah so um recently someone put up my address on google maps (laughs) (laughs) and like in one day two people random people i never met before like yeah, you know, I was needed some help, and I saw your yeah. <laughs> address on Google Maps. Yeah, and I'm Shaq, like, I need Whoa. some hijama. Are yeah. you home right now? <laughs> Sorry, come on, after me, like. <laughs> these things happen. Uh, like your phone number gets shared out with every oh, single yeah. person. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen your number floating around the, I mean. yeah, in the middle of the night. Like Subhanallah, yesterday it was I think two fifty-seven or two forty-seven a.m. I'm getting like messages, "Hey, check your voicemail," and I'm like, "What? Like, are wow. you for real? Like, wow. hey, if you can't sleep, that's your problem. But I need some rest, you know." And then the thing is, we deal, like, personally, I deal with a lot of, like, high trauma situations, like prison, hospital, deaths, um, uh, child abuse, divorce, um, you know, violence at home, suicides, like, Um. subhanAllah, you know, a sister came in just recently, and she was telling me about how her children, who are my students in the masjid, uh, you know, this mother attempted to commit suicide, and one time her son found her, and then... A few months later, she attempted a different type of method of, you know, suicide. And uh, her, her daughter caught her uh, off, about to jump off a balcony. And it's just like, subhanAllah. And, and these kids are kids we teach in the masjid. And nobody knows what they're going through. And then to come to them and be like, hey, be quiet. Stop making noise. man, you don't know these kids have rescued human beings. You know, they go through a lot in their personal lives. And that's where we as imams really need to like... I think sometimes the problem is as imams, we don't stand up to the boards enough and mm-hmm. tell them, look, we need these these resources. You need to spend money on people. Mm-hmm. Like we the community is suffering. People are dying. It's like we're on the battlefield, but we're not on the battlefield. Right. And there's a need for us to stop stop spending on on like chandeliers chandeliers and, and minarets and designs and, and start spending on people and, yeah, yeah, yeah
0: yeah you know i've been saying that for many years i i truly feel the greatest resource we have in our community is people mm-hmm. right and if we invested in those people and we cultivated their talents you know simple as like you find a you know youth volunteer or whatever hey you're good at this job yeah. why don't we get you more training why don't we you know you you go off and learn this skill from these places and come back and share it with the community you know yeah. simple things like that and I don't know if it's um you know a cultural thing where a lot of times the elders the people who help establish the massage a lot of times you know they've invested the initial dollars it's like they just don't want to let it go Mm -hmm. it's like you know alhamdulillah you you put the first brick down but can we live like can we can we you know like make it into a center because i think part of the burnout problem is that yes it's a, a limited amount of resources financially But at the same time, like you said, we're piling so many things onto these people, onto these Mm -hmm. imams and these community leaders that eventually we just end up losing them. Yeah. Right. So it's like we're shooting ourselves in the foot by not diversifying our portfolio, by not having other talented people in the community that can do those other things and cultivating that talent. Mm
1: -hmm. That's true. And I'm. I'm one of those people. I'm taking off. No, I'm sure. <laughs> don't say that. Come on. We're gonna, it's, you're going to take a quick commercial break, but he's going to be back very soon. Inshallah. Stay tuned.
0: Stay, tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. Well, let's talk about that because, yeah. you know, on the record now, because we're on video and so I'm broadcasted live, who knows when this will be released. Maybe this will be released 10 years from now. And it'll all be relevant. You'll probably be back by then anyways. I don't know, man, <laughs> <laughs> but you are right now in the process of, I don't know if I'd call it a hijra, Okay. But you are leaving Canada, going back to the the motherland. Literally, okay. your mother's land, yeah. literally Portugal. Yeah. Uh, what was that move like? What inspired that idea to go to Portugal?
1: So, I mean, a number of things. First off, I love traveling. You know that mm-hmm. I, I love traveling. I love other cultures and learning about other people and places and stuff like that. Um, but also like I have citizenship to another country. So my wife and I were like, well, why don't we ever use this? You know, if you You have a Portuguese citizen, I am. So it's like, why not use it for our children to benefit from as well and travel the world and let them see the things that I've seen so that they can, you know, learn from, from people. Uh, so there's that. And then there's also the cost of living. Canada is just, so there's the cost of living, but you know, if imams got paid a salary that was relevant to the cost of living in the countries Mm. or the cities are in, it wouldn't be such a big deal. Mm. Uh, But the reality is that just isn't the case. So, you know, you combine all of that and then with your responsibility with the community and so on, it's kind of like, I feel like I'm killing myself. Mm. Like I literally feel like I'm running myself into my grave every single day. You come home, you're burnt. And for how many days, how many months, how many years is my wife going to say, we get the leftovers of you. The community gets the best of you and we get the leftovers. Because there's just there's just no time. So it's kind of like, okay, you know, the verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, mm-hmm. O you who believe, save yourselves and your family from the fire. The first thing you need to do is, and I teach this to people all the time: you can't save your family. So people come in and they go, Oh, my son, my daughter, this and that. I'm like, you can't help someone else if you're not helping yourself. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not in the right state of mind to help my family and what am i really giving to my family mm. you know so for me i've kind of reached that point where i'm like before i hit burnout before i start taking like antidepressants and cuz i deal with people like this all the time and it's like if you see the signs and you know the system you know how it works you better stop yourself before it happens mm-hmm. right and that's where i'm at where i'm like okay let me let me make some some tough decisions it's not easy we have an awesome community here yeah, and, and that's really what i think bugs us the most is We're leaving a community. We kind of feel like we're turning our backs to the community. We don't want the community to feel that way. Mm. Uh, But at the same time, it's, I need to look after myself and my family. 100%.
0: Uh,
1: You know, our children are not getting younger, they're getting older. And they're getting older real fast. So it's a matter of doing something now as opposed to crying over spilt milk later on.
0: Especially because, I mean, alhamdulillah, you've invested a lot of time in the community, you know. I can empathize with that feeling also of, of uh, you know, giving your family the leftovers. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been raising my kids through FaceTime for the past like seven years, eight years, you know, mm-hmm. like those are very long calls, you know, when you're in other countries and you're having to like, you know, hey, show me what you learned today at school. Mm-hmm. Like that's not a it's not a good feeling, you mm-hmm. know, for yourself, for your family, for your kids. So may Allah reward you, and like everything that you've done here for the community and all the sacrifice and not just you, but your family has also made. You know, this is something that I think as a community, we're all very grateful for. And I know that it's such a it's such an interesting journey for a student of knowledge or a da'i because, you know, you're not only balancing your, your own family and your own responsibilities, but you're trying to care for everyone. You're trying to, you know, that village takes it takes a village to raise a child. Mm-hmm. And many times you are the village. You're having yeah. to play multiple roles and multiple hats. Uh, what is the plan in Portugal? Are you going to also like be an imam there? Like you, you lead a community there? Yeah.
1: So, I mean, if I could just take a step back, like one of the things you mentioned is, you know, trying to balance an entire community. I reach a point where you realize you can work until the day of judgment. You will never fix the problems yeah. of the people. You will never fix your community. It will never be done. Of course, we trust that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you know, help yourself and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will help you. Right. So mm-hmm. he's not going to change the condition of the people until you change that which is within within yourself. Um, but Portugal, there's other opportunities out there. Like there's uh, there's a much smaller community, a Muslim community. You know, there uh, where there's 35,000 Muslims in Milton, there's 50,000 Muslims in all of Portugal. Wow. So it's a very, very small community. Um, and I went to multiple masajid. I've been to Portugal three times and I've been to multiple masajid where you go for Maghrib, you go for Isha, there's two people, three people, mm. four people. They don't have any imam, it's just, you know, whoever's there. Mm. So there's a lot of work to be done. Like some of the masajid are the size of this studio. And, yeah. you know, we're not talking a huge place. It's just a small room and they can't even afford a carpet. Inshallah. And I, I, I would go to these masajid and think to myself, I could easily just do like a quick online campaign and raise like five grand, ten grand that could pay for a part-time imam mm-hmm. right give a little bit of something to someone who can lead the salah mm-hmm. uh, you know maybe even send someone abroad or or pay for someone's islamic education so they can learn islam and then help the community mm-hmm. but also just like paint the walls and and carpet the masjid mm-hmm. so there's there's potential in the country and also muslims ruled portugal for Allah over Allah 700 Allah years
0: Akbar. They forgot about us, they you know, forgot. This is your homecoming, yes, You're yeah. about to remind them about history. <laughs> you
1: know, and SubhanAllah, like my mother used to tell us, because my mother was raised Roman Catholic, mm. and she used to tell us stories when we were younger of going to church. And in the churches, there would be like idols along, you know, the, the walls mm. all on the top. But she said, there, there always used to be this strange engraving that was in the walls behind the idols. Mm. Those churches used to be massajids from hundreds of years ago. And then they became churches. In Canada, we're all like, you know, every Muslim's like, hey, we need a new masjid. Let's see if there's a church that's for sale. Right? Not in a you know, a bad way. It's hey, it was a place of worship. Let's continue to keep this a place of worship and worship Allah. Mm. But when you see a masjid being turned into a church, it that's, hurts. That hurts. That it hurts, hurts right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm sure for the Christian community it hurts as well when they see you know sure. a church being converted into a masjid. But as Muslims, like we're obviously going to care about the faith that we follow. Mm. And so, when Muslims ruled the, th- those lands for so many years, and now you look at Islam there, and you kind of feel as though Islam's almost extinct. Mm. It's like, I think I have a responsibility here, Akbar. you know, and, and it is my mother's country, and Muslims like establish themselves. And, and one of the things I always remember is Tariq ibn Ziyad. Ooh. You know, he went there and he said, burn the ships. We're not Ziyad. going back. Allahu Akbar. And so that's like the concept that I've been keeping in my head is like, we're going there. And Don't burn
0: the plane ya Sheikh. We, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> we need the plane. <laughs> why, get- do to, why do I have to say that? <laughs> we'll cut that part out. No, we'll cut it out. Yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> but yeah, just burn the ships as in like, so my wife and I, we contemplated, should we just test the waters, mm. put all of our stuff in storage and just go for a year? And alhamdulillah, you know, a good friend of mine, uh, who actually used to be one of my students, and now alhamdulillah is uh, one of our teachers and imam as well, uh, he told me, he's like, sell everything and go with the mindset that you're not coming back. And if it doesn't work out, you can always come back. Mm. But if you go thinking you are coming back, mm. you're never going to feel settled. You're never going to really like just settle in. Commit to it. Yeah. Mm. And so it was at that point in time when I thought, "Hey, thought I could i burn the ships, like you go and you commit." And that's the plan for the next few years. The world is vast. I don't think we'll be there forever. We'll probably move somewhere else as well. And that's fine. I like doing that.
0: And also, you know, everything's online now too. Yeah. You know, you can can still be an imam, still be active, still be contributing, you know, even just in the comfort of your home, literally anywhere. I mean, we learned that through the pandemic. We all lived in our houses for two years. You could have been anywhere and it didn't make a difference. I mean, it's, it's, I'm happy for you. Like, I'm happy that, you know, you get to experience this. and sure, you're uh, man, you're coming over on vacation. <laughs> you know, oh, now I have an excuse. I've been to Spain. I've been to, like, I've done the kind of Andalusia tour a little bit. I haven't gone to Portugal yet.
1: And there you go. You missed out on half of it.
0: I actually grew up with a lot of Portuguese people. I played soccer. I'm I sure you for, have. Toronto's filled with Portuguese. I, I played for a club, actually, a Portuguese club called Benfica. I don't know if you...
1: So here's the interesting thing. Hmm. Um since you know Benfica, you're one of the few people who knows Benfica. Mm. Uh, the central masjid in Lisbon, you asked me what I'm going to be doing. I'm actually going to be working closely with the central masjid in Lisbon. Mm. Uh, they want me to help out with some youth programs, setting up a youth program, establishing really a youth program. Like there's not really much going on in the masjid. Um, but the masjid was built in, it was completed in 1986. Mm. And then they sort of, you know, continued to modernize things. And the gym is one of the things that they, you know, kept putting money into. The main income for the masjid is Benfica. How? Benfica rents the gym from the masjid for their practices.
0: Allah. Allahu Akbar.
1: And that's the main source of income for the masjid. SubhanAllah. That's just amazing.
0: I always knew they were a blessed team. (laughs) Allahu Akbar. It's good to know that my guys are in the masjid. MashaAllah. That's good to know. Alhamdulillah. So you're going to be in
1: Lisbon? Uh, we're going to be living in the countryside outside of Lisbon. I want to slow life down a little bit. Right. Um, but yeah, we'll be working, uh, closely with How's the Portuguese? Lisbon. Uh, it's there a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Barely, but it's coming along. It's coming we're taking again. lessons as a family. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> but the good thing is, is like, I don't know if you, you, you probably do remember years back when we started having the conferences in Malaysia yeah. when I was living there, mm. it was like, let's bring some English speaking imams because everyone's watching videos online, mm. learning Islam in English. And that's really what's happening in Portugal right now is, you know, the younger generation is watching these YouTube videos and, you know, Yakin Institute and stuff like that uh, and and learning in English online. And, uh, you know, the the president of the masjid and some of the other community members were like, we really want to have classes in English because the younger generation connects to that. Mm. So, yeah, that's the plan.
0: Isn't it amazing how like 15, 20 years ago, I mean, I remember like even when I just started practicing and started like, I remember, funny enough, having a map, a physical map of all the masajid in the GTA in Ramadan. Mm-hmm. To I, I wanted to pray in different masajid, and th- there was no phone. There was like you needed a physical map. Yeah, yeah. Access to knowledge, books, information. Now, it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, from the you talked about your experiences in Montreal. I remember even just myself in the early two thousands, mm-hmm. like after nine eleven, not being able to access pretty much anything in English. Mm-hmm. You know, it's incredible how really English has become. A major part of transmitting Islam around the world. Yeah, yeah, you know, does it feel like being an English speaker, you have an advantage?
1: You do, but I also feel as though we're not using our resources to the to its fullest. Mm. Like I speak fluent French, but I only do lectures or khutbas in French when I'm in Quebec, mm. um, and not even Montreal, like Quebec City, right. uh, which is a shame. Like I feel, I feel uh, that I should like. Uh, I might be questioned about it on the day of judgment. Like, why didn't you benefit people in a language that you knew, mm. Arabic, right? And Portuguese. Like, why aren't you doing this? Mm. So I think uh, we need to, we need to venture off into different regions of the world. We also need to stop thinking that uh, this this spread of Islam, especially online in English, is like the way to go. Because there's many people on this earth that don't speak English. Mm. And Islam is still being spread in different ways, right? So, yeah, I think we need to venture off into uh, different things as well. Like, bring what we've managed to establish. I'm not I'm not bashing what we have. I think this is awesome and amazing. And we need to just replicate it in multiple different languages. Mm-hmm. So have, like, this podcast en français. Uh,
0: oui, right? oui. Uh, je, je m'appelle Bibliothèque. Uh, I mean, that's all I know. I did up to grade nine. I mean, maybe that's more of a commentary on public school, but yeah, my country is great.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I think that's that's really needed, you know, because mm. the world is is moving forward in different ways and everyone is looking at us and it's like, you don't need to copy us. Mm. You know, you don't need to be in South America and copying North America. You don't need to be in like India or Pakistan copying North Americans. Just be Muslims of whatever region you're in Uh, but use the resources that are available to you. Mm.
0: And that's the beauty about the Ummah. I mean, you look around, like, I think you see it, I mean, obviously you were in Medina, so you saw it as a student there, Mm. but even when you're in the Haram and you look around and you're like, oh my God, there's every single, there's a representative from every country on earth here. Like, and I I think I I saw a study or a quote that came out where the Islamic University of Medina is the most diverse university on the planet. Something like that. Yeah, Yeah. where it's like it houses people from so many different countries and, yeah, so I 100% agree, utilizing that benefit that we have mm-hmm. of being able to tap into different communities and stuff. English is, alhamdulillah, lights there. It's getting a little played out, yeah. right? But with AI, okay, this is something that we're experimenting with here at, at Muslimi as well. AI could potentially be that, that gap where you can actually, now you can translate content mm-hmm. uh, just in English, you on can just fly. translate, yeah, right. on the fly to different languages, yeah. Have you in- dabbled at all in AI? What are your thoughts around AI? So yeah,
1: a lot of people have asked me why I don't just you know, have my khutbahs written for me, just type in a sentence or two and I mean, have that's it a great pulled idea. up. But to be honest, it goes right back to what I was saying. Like, why spend so many years studying Islam for some robot who didn't study Islam that mm. is going to pull from multiple places? And you know, we've, alhamdulillah, as imams, we've looked into it and found that there are so many mistakes mm-hmm. that come out of uh, using AI right now. But, uh, yeah, Techies are saying, give it some time. It's still learning. Okay, fair enough. Uh, But nothing beats a human being, right? Mm. We are the best creation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has has created. So why are we putting ourselves down thinking AI is better than us? It isn't. Mm. We do make mistakes and that's part of life. We're supposed to make mistakes so that we can repent and ask for forgiveness,
0: Mm. right? It's interesting because, you know, AI is a big conversation. A lot Mm -hmm. of people are talking about the role it's going to have. Where do you see the convergence of technology and dawah because you know for many years and still to this day people are hesitant about social media i remember before it was the radio before that it was tv you know mm-hmm. everyone's like oh we shouldn't do this it's you know and rightly so there's some hesitation at least just to make sure that things are okay mm-hmm. but do you see ai sliding into that same world where eventually it does become part of the muslim community in the muslim world in a more yeah, I think, way?
1: i would love for us to use it in the right ways as well like i think it should um simple example the amount of times people reach out to me asking the same question over and over by like 100 people every single week why can't we just have like an ai bank of questions that are answered where people just kind of like you ask google like hey google what's the temperature today Mm -hmm. just make sure our phones don't respond (laughs) they're always listening but uh yeah just like uh asking questions like what's you know what's Sheikh So and So's uh, answer to this question, and then you get it. You mm. know, AI just tells it to you, or you know, having a bank of fatawa like in Canada, if I want to purchase a house, then what do I need to do? Mm. Right, and it tells you step by step. So I think there's a need for us to use it in the right ways, um, and we definitely can benefit from it. Uh, and as Muslims, we we should be ahead of the game. We should be more advanced than than the rest of the world.
0: Will that ever become an issue, in your opinion? The fact that you know and the scientists are saying that in a few years' time, AI will catch up. It'll be more intelligent. It'll be able to come up with its own opinions. Do you see a time when, you know, AI or machine learning could theoretically replace, you know, the the duties of a local imam? Like, hypothetically?
1: I don't think so. There's something different to the human touch, mm. right? Um, that AI can't give. So someone comes into my office and... You know, let's just say a brother comes in and his wife just passed away. Mm. AI can't give him a hug, mm. right? Um, you know, someone comes in and uh, and was treated mistreated or something. AI is, n- yeah, people might argue, yeah, they know what to do, but not not every process is the is the right process, mm. right? You need to use a human brain to figure out whether this step is right for this person or not. Mm -hmm. you know, like someone might need to reach out to certain level of authorities that AI might mess up on and, you know, create bigger problems, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So, yeah, I think, um, I think AI can definitely be beneficial, but also uh, I'm sure there's always, like, there's always going to be pros and cons to everything. There's always going to be mistakes uh, here and there. Uh, But I think if we, if we just allow it to be used in the right ways, like, Like you said, even just translating this, like Mm. think of it back in the day when you'd post something online, uh, you could never have, um, you know, the text of what you're saying, the captions right there. And now Mm. you just click a button and it just generates it for you before you used to sit there and write it all out and then put it on the screen as you need it. Mm. And you don't have to do that anymore. It Mm. just does it for you, right? So yeah, technology.
0: So there could be a day where maybe we have Sheikh Terminator
1: hopefully his face is not half blown off but yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: i just imagine literally like a robot leading the salah you know first of all he would never mess up
1: his wudu would never break Allahu Akbar. but he'd never have wudu in the first place Allah- imagine mm-hmm. putting water on those limbs
0: <laughs> and then people will be like "Oh, okay well it's waterproof all right cool <laughs> Can I, let me give you a practical application which i'm throwing an idea out into the world now okay yeah, this <coughs> could Ramadan. be worth millions, man. It Are you sure be. you want to I'm say? I'm gonna it? throw it out just for for the you know feasibility. No problem, Inshallah. Imagine in Ramadan a hafiz or even anyone at this point, if you as long as you can recite Quran. If you know you had those like glasses or whatever, if you just had the Mushaf in front of you, you know, there's a difference of opinion. Obviously, around it already reading. exists. Somebody already beat me to it. It already exists. I lost. all right, we're on the same page. You can
1: have the I think it's called the Google goggles, right? The those Google, glasses, yeah, yeah. and you can have the Quran just going on it, and you recite from it. What do exists. you think about that
0: in Salah? And
1: AI correction already exists as well. This Ramadan, the amount of pe- brothers that were using tertil You heard the app, yes. tertil So they're following along. And as soon as the Imam messes up, mm-hmm. you get all these like notices really? in the masjid. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. so there
0: are some, you know, hopefully good applications. Yeah, it's good. Like the amount of people that never had a Qur'an
1: teacher and can use, you know, they don't have the time, which I shouldn't really say, like we should all make time for the Qur'an. But... Mm-hmm you know, on the fly, they can sort of do their revision through the app. That's great. That's that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like when I think back of when I was a child and the amount of times I'd be memorizing something and I memorized it incorrectly, but mm-hmm. it took a week before I was corrected because that was when I was going to go read to my teacher. Mm-hmm. This whole week I could have been corrected like so a week ago and never made that mistake again.
0: And you probably had like the cassettes where you had to... We pre- did. <laughs> I don't want to date you, but I mean, that, that's how it was. That was the life that we all live. No Cassettes, one knows what a cassette is they they now know, anyways, sure. right? It's all they, good.
1: Cassette. Yeah, Google it. Yeah, literally. It's, it was a piece
0: of technology that was squared and was put into a box and somehow sounds came out of it. It was ancient. ancient and it had time. tape inside it. Yeah, yeah. And there was somehow tape on it as well. It didn't make any sense. Uh, so we're talking about, you know, the, the future of Dawah. What advice do you have for future dai's, future students of knowledge, people that maybe what you were in Montreal just kind of thinking about it, not really sure, you know, not not knowing if they want to commit and study overseas. What advice do you have for, you know, future students of knowledge?
1: I'd like to see uh, this evolution play out where students of knowledge who become, you know, sheikh and sheikha teachers within the community and even imams. I'd like to see them financially independent. So my advice to a lot of students who go, who who leave and go and study abroad, uh, or even who embark upon learning Islamic knowledge locally, I always tell them have some backup, right? Like study something else where you can generate some sort of income. Even like we live in a world where you can make some money online every single day, even if it's just a few dollars. Yeah. 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 So like use that to your advantage because when I think of the Sahaba radhiAllahu anhum, they were knowledgeable. The Prophet ﷺ as well would, you know, at fajr time, be in the masjid, stay until the sun rose, pray his turaqah, and then go to the market and make some money, Mm. right? And we should be that type of people as well. Um, Because relying on masajid, relying on board members to like look after salaries and stuff, I don't know when that's ever going to be solved, if it is ever going to be solved. So you may as well figure something out for yourself right now. Mm. And also it's good to have something else that you're earning from, right? And and whenever you need to take a break, you can take a break from teaching or from being with the community and spend some time with family and then come back to it.
0: Mm. Refresh. Yeah. Any advice for the future uncles, the future board members, people that will be occupying these positions of leadership? I mean, I might be that's, an uncle tomorrow. That's us, basically. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'm yeah. there now. I'm at that age category. Like, what do we do to prevent those pitfalls of burnout? You know, you talked about how sometimes boards... You know, not willingly, but they sometimes abuse the you know their their authority over an imam or somebody who's working for the masjid. What can we as a community do better in the future to help support students of knowledge, imams, and du'a to stay in the communities?
1: Yeah, I think it's a matter of diversifying. Like masajid are not just places to come and pray five times a day. Like that mindset needs to shift. Um, and I think if we're able to do that and invest more in people, then that'll be good for us. And then also, you know, just just humbling ourselves like our egos Mm. just destroy us the amount of people who you go to the masjid and you talk to, and they're just like, Oh, I'm so-and-so. I'm like, I really don't care if you're so-and-so person. You're my brother. Mm -hmm. I love you for being my brother. No, but do you know who I am? I'm like, I don't care. I already love you. You're about to destroy my love for you because you want me to like recognize you for being the most awesome real estate agent or something. (laughs) I don't care about what you do. You're my Muslim brother and I love you for that. Right. And so I think we need to sort of step away from our egos a little bit and, and really humble ourselves. Right. And, that's a huge part of our deen that as Muslims we're just not focusing on because everyone's focusing on getting attention, being recognized, social media, putting it out there, likes and views. So it's not humbling us, it's building us up. And that's counterproductive for the Muslim. Mm. That's no good. Mm. If if a Muslim is out there checking the amount of likes and the amount of uh, you know views and stuff, that's problematic. Mm. You shouldn't really care. Even if one person is learning from you, that's good because that one person might be the person who's taking you to paradise. Allahu
0: Akbar. Right? That's just really important. Allahu Akbar. Inshallah, we get more than one view on this video because this was a, a fantastic interview. Hey, if the two of us benefit alone, that's all. Allahu Akbar. <laughs> we don't even need you guys. You like, <laughs> subscribe. Don't. It doesn't make a difference to us. <laughs> We're good. Inshallah. But I just want to thank you again for giving us your time, and <laughs> for being an advocate in our community, for speaking for the voiceless, for serving in you know prisons and places where a lot of us don't even recognize there's need. Um, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always protect you and your family on your journey I mean, whatever yeah. that looks like in the future you know we hope inshallah selfishly that you do come back to Canada but of course you know whatever is best for you and your family inshallah we ask that Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala grant you tawfiq in all your endeavors and we hope that inshallah we can benefit with you more in the future uh, you and I will be in Malaysia very soon so I, I don't have oh, to sure. tear up now I'll see you in a little bit anyways don't worry man um, but alhamdulillah just an we'll honor enjoy. to have you yeah, we oh, might not come back from <laughs> Malaysia <laughs> <laughs> this may be my last podcast you may be never see me again yeah. we may be doing this whole thing with with a, like an Asian inspired theme very soon because we might just move <laughs> move the whole thing to KL but uh, anyways JazakAllah khair Shaykh, for being with us here today and JazakAllah khair for all of you watching may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless all of you inshallah stay tuned with everything that Muslim is doing on all of our socials and of course stay tuned for the next episode of the Muslim experience I'm your host Brother Buna Muhammad signing off take care we'll see you all soon rahmatullahi Warahmatullahi
1: Wabarakatuh